right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host or co-host. I don't know. Maybe I'll be the co-host today. I'll be, I'm your co-host, Chris Papa, along with our host, Lisa Flicker. How you doing, Lisa? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you. Uh, today, we spoke to Bob Flannery, based in Chicago. He seems like such a Chicago guy, right? He's uh, the, the son of a, a Chicago police officer you know, the Irish Chicago police officer type of a thing and uh, has worked as, I mean, you and I know Lisa as recruiters that starting out in property management, not everyone is, not everyone wants to transition, but not everyone is able to transition out of it. And he got his foot in the door. He, 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 he I don't know. He's like confidence in himself or just trust in, in the world that if he keeps moving forward, that things are going to work out, which is pretty rare. I agree. It's it's a very hard move to make. And I also feel like, you know, he kept saying luck, luck, which is true, but I feel like he always put himself in the place to be lucky, right? So he was doing, he was in property management, but he was getting his MBA. Is it lucky that he got into asset management? Well, he, he made his luck. So Yeah, he was able, he took he, opportunities that not other people didn't want to, in order to learn skill sets. Uh, he took big risks. Um, and they paid off. It's 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 a great story. Um, he, he is now the managing director and the head of Redwood Residential and Operations at uh, EQT Exeter. And so, as many of us know, EQT Exeter is a huge firm. Um, and yeah, they recently did a you know combined with uh, with Redwood Residential, where he was the president previously, um, and forms this arm, this branch of EQ, EQT Exeter. Uh, which is a real big move. And he's worked at places like CA Ventures, um, which is a household name. And uh, anyhow, uh, he steady started out his career with uh, at Sam Zell. So he's been everywhere he goes, seems to grow. <laughs> um, he's certainly done it. Done it all. Yeah, so that, that was a really good one. And he's really easy guy to listen to. I, I could have listened to him for another hour or so, but unfortunately or fortunately, we got work to do. Um, so everyone, please enjoy the episode. And as usual, please share with your friends, rate and review the episodes, and enjoy the show. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you coming on here after this long Thanksgiving weekend. How are you doing today? I'm happy to be here, Chris. Um, I'm doing well today. Back back at it after the holiday. Had a nice one. I hope you did as well. Oh, it was nice. Yeah, it was, it was great. Like we were talking about before, I was down in Texas and... Now I'm back here in San Francisco, and and Lisa Flicker is here as well. She's in our, our Stanford office in the, the Northeast. How you doing, Lisa? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm convinced today and Super Bowl Monday are the hardest days of the year to come into the office. So <laughs> one day off, check. One day done. Well, at least you guys are in the office. A lot of people aren't in the, are are not in the office um, today or any Mondays actually. We just had a call internally at our at the firm about. We have uh, people are starting to come in a lot on Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays. And now that we're having a lot of people come to New York for the holiday party, uh, spreading out our so the next like couple of weeks are going to be kind of jam packed in our New York office. And how do we fit everybody in? Because we're not used to having so many people in the office for the last couple of years. So having more people come in on Mondays, which is, you know, usually a ghost town. And it's um, nice to have nice to have people around, though. Oh, yeah. I, I love going to the office when I'm. I don't, I don't have a permanent office anymore since uh, I moved out West, but 
uh, I love going back to the New York office. Um, so you're you're the managing director, head of Redwood Residential and Operations, which is part of EQT Exeter. Uh, can you tell us about your platform and what you do? Absolutely. Yeah, um, and and it's exciting because it's just changed over the last few months, as I think you and Lisa know. Yeah. Um, uh, in June of this year, Redwood Capital Group merged in to become part of EQT Exeter, which is an international uh, real estate investment management platform. Um, almost thirty billion dollars of assets under management AUM, and um, not a lot of focus up until recently on multifamily. And so we're we're excited to be a big part of their future growth in the multifamily platform. And so uh, today we have probably about uh, 4 billion of wow. um, multifamily AUM, mm. uh, either in development or in our portfolio. And that's a combination of value add and core plus across the United States. And we're backed by EQT, which is out of Stockholm, Sweden. Um, uh, one of the largest private equity firms in the world. Yeah, they're uh, huge. Yeah, and um, and of course Exeter, as you know, is well known as an industrial leader in the United States. Um, they've also expanded into um, office and life sciences, yeah. along with um, multifamily now. So uh, especially for um, the multifamily and industrial said uh, sheds and beds play. <laughs> so you're you're they certainly hit. Go ahead. I usually say they've certainly hit all the uh, the hot asset classes, the darlings, right? Office, right. Uh, not office, multifamily, and industrial. So that's great. How how did that relationship come about? Because I I we met or first spoke. It was a while ago. I forget how many years ago it was, but it was, it was a while ago, and I definitely remember Redwood. Um, but how how did that? We can go through the iteration of your career, but how how did that relationship with with what do they prefer, EQT or, or, or Exeter? Uh, EQT Exeter is fine. EQT Exeter is fine. You know, uh, Chris, it actually, like a lot of things, um, we were aware of each other and in kind of similar, uh, at, you know, uh, orbits for a couple of years, uh, bumped into each other along the way. But I think what happened that really made it a great alignment is Redwood Capital Group had this um, really strong track record and a very strong vertically integrated organization. In order to scale that, we asked ourselves, how do we find access to a better pool of discretionary capital? Right. EQT Exeter has an amazing international network of professionals who raise capital for their funds. Right. And so what the and 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 EQT Exeter wanted to get have a stronger presence in the multifamily business. They did have a presence already. They were doing development along the East Coast. Maybe you've seen, you know, some of their team members. There were things happening in Boston and Philadelphia, DC. But in order to raise the fund, they wanted to have stronger backing, a deeper track record. So it was the perfect marriage. We had a track record in a vertically integrated organization and a national portfolio. Exeter had the ability, EQT Exeter had the ability to go out and raise capital. And that's exactly what's happened, by the way. So since we've closed in June, we've already started seeding future funds with balance sheet assets, thanks to the financial strength of EQT Exeter. And uh, we've launched the raising of, of a first fund. That's awesome. And so I guess, yeah, let's take us. So you, Redwood, 
you said it was, full, was is fully integrated. You came you came fully integrated with the property management company and and all that jazz. Yes. Yeah. So um, uh, property management, construction management, asset management, investment management was all 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 part of Redwood. And um, I know you want to um, later on in this discussion talk a little bit about um, my career, but. Um, you'll see if there's a pattern that emerges as we talk, it's, it's, a, it's um, alignment with privately held, fully integrated companies that are looking for ways to scale. While you're saying this, my, my point of view, I'm always trying to think about if I were a college student or somebody trying to get into real estate, what would I try to learn from you? And mm -hmm. I feel like what you just talked about, the ability to scale a platform is such a tremendous skill. And I often talk to people and they say, well, I wanna start my own business. I know how to do acquisitions or I know how to fundraise. And, and clearly those are two very key skills. But I, I wonder, what is it that you think if you were giving advice to your younger self about how to learn how to scale a company, what, what traits and skills do you think you gained in your career that helped you to get there? Sure. Um, you know, I think, I think there's a few, just kind of baseline approaches to this could be real estate. It could be any career, right? But if you generally in order to see some growth and see opportunity, there's a certain amount of risk that needs to be taken. So I think you need to get comfortable with the concept of risk, whether that's financial risk or geographical risk or taking a job where you don't know what your title is going to be kind of risk. Um, you, you have to understand the ability to take risk. I think you also have to really appreciate the fact that there's a little bit of luck involved and people who start their own business at the right time might feel like they did everything right. And people who start at the wrong time might feel the opposite, but there, you have to really appreciate that luck part. And then I think recognizing that opportunity when it comes along. So I think if I'm coming out of college and I'm looking for a job or I'm looking to start something, really being alert and not just following the path of least resistance, but thinking in every interaction I have and every relationship I have, how can I learn something from this person? How can I think about what's important to me and line that up with what's important to them and have a meaningful interaction of some type and not waste anyone's time, but be thoughtful. We've all had the calls with people that say, I'm ready for a change. What do you want? I don't know. I have it pretty good where I am. I'm not really <laughs> sure. Well, you're, I, I already, you're wasting my time. But, and so it's, when I, when I think about the idea of taking risk, um, appreciating luck and recognizing opportunity, Sometimes those are the key things. And by the way, you know what comes in fourth and it's important, but it's it's the hard work. It's the tenacity and the mm -hmm. persistence. But if all you have is tenacity, if all you do is work hard and you don't take any risk and you don't look, if you don't find those lucky opportunities and you're not thinking about your next move, then you're just going to be working hard, which is fine, but you're much less likely to see the movement that you might be looking for or the success you might be looking for. When um, did you have a, a vision for your, I mean, it sounds like you uh, pretty thought out. Did you have 
this vision that you wanted to work within real estate that you wanted to work with this type of firm like and where did that come from yeah um i i, I think there's a certain and of course there's been a lot of books written on this the idea of you know persistence tenacity grit whatever you want to call it there's a, a lot of different words for it um i i um had a desire to be in real estate that that desire to be in real estate came out of a, an interest in architecture and urban planning in the built environment, but also having an interest in business. I think I just got lucky that my brain actually worked that way. There aren't many people that come out of college and actually end up having a career in an area that, they're, that they come out of college saying they have an interest in. But I actually came out and said, I want to get into real estate. I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so what I did was I just, I kind of knocked on doors, um, literally, figuratively, however you want to call it, um, and found a way in at the lowest, I guess, at an entry level, which was really in operations and property management, uh, Chris. And, That's good. And, Let me just back up one there. So I have a lot of, we got a lot of inquiries from people coming out of college and like somebody, I don't know, maybe they don't have a finance background or accounting background or whatever. And they're like, I want to get in real estate, but they, you know get entry-level property management, like learn the business. They don't want to do that, right? Because it sounds right. like it's not as sexy as what they thought it was going to be, I guess. But like, what was what's the benefit of getting in and learning that skill set? Well, for me, the benefit was um, getting in, right. honestly. I mean, that was, that was the benefit. I, I didn't know enough um, in terms of what the industry was about. I didn't have any connections in the industry. I didn't know a single person. And so um, this was the whole luck piece, right? I, I was at a graduation party for a friend of mine and his cousin said to me, oh, there's a guy in Chicago named Sam Zell that I heard about. You know, she was an auditor at Deloitte. And she said, I don't know, maybe go knock on their door. And I actually, you know, filled out an application. This was, you know, pre-internet. And, um, and they called me. So that's just luck right there, nothing more. But it was combined with recognizing opportunity and some persistence and follow-up and tenacity, right? So you, it's that whole, you have to do it all, I think. You can't just rely on any, any one area. And um, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but when they called me for that job, I had already accepted another job and I said, no, thank you, and I hung up the phone. And I started this other job, which was something in the financial investments industry. Um, and I was there one day and I was, and I said to myself, I made a huge mistake. I got to call this lady back. And again, miraculously, she took my call. I talked my way back in and was ultimately able to secure the position. But that, you know, that, that took a little bit of effort, right? Right. And then, um, I mean, I'll tell you that I had a similar type of experience where I came out of school and I was I wanted to get in real estate and I was, for some reason, I thought being a lawyer would do that. And so uh, I was a paralegal, but I hated that. And I was took my exams to go to law school and I was like, all right, I got to get out of this. And then I actually interviewed for a co-op condo property management company as an assistant property manager. And they asked me what the difference between a co-op and a condo is. Um, and I got it wrong. I got the answer wrong. They didn't hire me. And that's the only reason I'm not, I didn't get in the property management. <laughs> so that's why I got the <laughs> Well, I, I've, done a lot of I've, I've done a lot of different areas of real estate, but from what I know, uh, condo and co-op management is probably one of the toughest areas. So right. maybe that was a blessing in disguise. Um, 
But you know what was what was interesting about that first role, Chris, is it it was the only role I've ever had where I didn't actually source an opportunity through a relationship, right? It was at the entry level job. It was just hard work, tenacity, boots on the ground, get a foot in the door, take whatever it is, no matter how low level it is. But then once you're in the door, you have to immediately start thinking about one, your first goal is always, how do I do a great job for my employer? That has to be your number one goal. That's what you're there to do. But your second job is, and how do I continue? How, how do I start to build my own relationships, my own network? People use the word brand, which sometimes sounds a little um, maybe self-absorbed thinking about yourself as a brand, but just thinking about how you start to build your career. Mm. Um, and as I was working my way up through uh, property management, I didn't even know I was doing it along the way. It came naturally, but I was building my network. I was meeting people professionally. I was going to lunch with people, going to breakfast with people, um, joining associations, whatever it might be um, to, to help along the way. Um, but it was, it's interesting in hindsight that, you know, the first career decision I ever made was the absolute wrong one. I took the wrong job. <laughs> And, and the second career decision I ever made was the right one, which was calling that woman back and saying, I'll, I'll, I'll take that job and it changed my whole life. That's awesome. And how, so you started out in property management, but not many, not everyone who starts in property management. A lot of people want to move into other areas of real estate. How did you, you said you, you met a lot of people join organizations, but did, was there something about you that, I mean, there's a lot of people who try to make that move from like property management out into, I mean, you were doing you know, portfolio management, fund management, you've got to the yeah. fund side, more the technical financial side. Like, how did you make that transition? Well, I think if you go back to the risk idea, I was managing a couple of really nondescript office buildings in downtown Chicago, classy kind of stuff. And, um, one of my mentors at my first job had left to take another job. And she called me up and said, hey, I've got this great opportunity for you. It's a huge leap up, um, but you'll have to move to Detroit. And um, I was living, you know, kind of, I was living my life um, at the time in Chicago with my great network of friends and single and enjoying um, being a 20 something. And um, I moved to Detroit. I mean, yeah, it, it, nobody wanted to live in Detroit. That's why I got the job. I was actually, I was really underqualified. Mm. Um, for, uh, and, and I would say there's another theme that emerges, which is, you know, if you take those risks, uh, people will reward you with opportunities. And in some respects, I feel as though almost every job I've ever had, I don't know if I really feel like I've been fully qualified for it, right? It's always been a little bit of a stretch move. Mm. Um, but I, I love that challenge. And so, I did. I, I I took that risk, moved to Detroit. It, it it put me over a much larger and more significant portfolio than I ever would have been able to do in a major market. And that positioned me to move into a role with a principal uh, two years later, where I joined an investment firm, a real estate investment management firm, and left the world of property man. Well, left the world of onsite property management because I had gained enough experience and a, been a portfolio manager in property management that I was able to move into this investment management platform. The other thing I did while I was in Detroit, twiddling my thumbs, thinking about what I should be doing for a social life, 
um, I went back to school at night and got my MBA and that helped. Um, so uh, the, 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 the job with the real estate investment management firm, which was called CMD Realty Investors, mm-hmm. um, I would not have been qualified for without um, the MBA. Aha, gotcha. So, um, but that, that put me on the principal side for the first time. And that was a real eye opener, right? Because coming out of property management, where you're thinking about collecting rent and managing expenses and things like that, to the principal side where people are thinking about deploying capital and managing a portfolio was a great move. And to your point, once I landed in that world, I realized after a few years that if I wanted to grow in the business, I needed to get onto the financial at the financial side of the business, or at least for me, for what I wanted to accomplish. And I was very fortunate that um, I was able to make that move out of property management and into asset management during that time. Um, again, thanks to some good mentors mm-hmm. and some people who gave me a chance. So, you know, I would say um, in every case, uh, people did take a risk and gave me a chance um, as I look back. Um, probably on paper, uh, I wouldn't have been qualified for any of these jobs. Well, it sounds like they also gave you a chance because they probably saw your potential, right? They weren't. <laughs> they don't give anyone a well, chance. <laughs> right, right, right. No, but again, it's just a, it's it's a combination of all these things we're talking about, right? If there's a recurring theme, it's take the risk, appreciate the luck. Hard work, determination, look for opportunity. I mean, it, 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 it's it's simple. If you keep repeating it over and over to yourself, it just becomes second nature. Um, and what, what it all adds up to is um, sometimes I use the words, just be alert. Just be alert and be thinking about what's happening around you at all times. And I bet at the end of the day, not being afraid to fail goes in there somewhere too, right? So it's part of the risk. It's part of what, when you have the grit, you're working hard, but I'm sure like now you're talking to Chris and I, it sounds so easy and in hindsight, these are the steps, but I'm sure there were some bumps along the way that you handled properly and kind of you wound up on the other end. There, there were actually, I mean, there, and, and, and that role, when I took on that national property management role before being an asset manager, there were some growing pains for me and there was a year on discussion at one point with one of my mentors and he just said, you know what, you're not hitting it on a few marks. And I'm so conscientious and so um, thoughtful about everything I do. It just, it just took the wind out of me that he actually thought I, I wasn't hitting the mark. And, and I had to go back and do a lot of self-reflection after that. And um, a year later, I was able to be promoted into this asset management role. So I felt like that was a huge accomplishment to go from not having the confidence of somebody um, to to moving um, to not only regaining that confidence, but moving up in the organization. That's awesome. And yes, that was very hard. (laughs) Well, it looks like, you know, some people take that type of feedback and they crumble. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. they can't take it. But you you had the resilience to one of the things was like take the message not the messenger something along those lines yeah uh, and i and i you know and it's interesting because i think everyone's a little different i mean you know i think what we're talking about today hopefully there's someone who listens to it and it resonates with them but there might be other people who listen to it and it just falls flat and that's totally fine you know i i'm i'm hyper competitive in the in the world of, of business um, but certain things I'm, I'm not as competitive in. I've never really been a big like uh, sports team. It's like in terms of playing sports, I wasn't as competitive in that. Um, I, you know, some people enjoy 
running and biking and swimming and yoga more than they enjoy basketball, football, soccer, uh, for example. Right. So, um, you know, different personalities. But um, in the world of business, I'm I'm just hyper competitive. I don't know where it comes from, but it's just uh, <laughs> <laughs> just it's sort of innate uh, to me. And 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 so. Um, that, that, that world, leaving that world of property management and moving into asset management was absolutely a stretch too, right? All of a sudden, my whole wife was Excel sheets and IRRs and cap rates and managing revenue. Um, and I enjoyed it a ton. And, and, and then it, there was an inflection point in that organization where there was going to be some divestiture. Um, the family that controlled the firm was going through some things with their trust. And um, I knew it was going to be time to move on. And so I thought to myself, what what can I do next? I'm an asset manager. And I thought I need to learn more about how to take risk on the deal side of the business. And so that was a move. This is probably one of the riskiest moves I made was I left, you know, we were on the 39th floor of a downtown office building with, I had an office with a view of the lake. I had membership in the Admiral's club, <laughs> frequent farm, all this living stuff. Life. Right? Living That's the life. Right. Living the high end corporate life at the time. And, um, I took a job with a couple of um, guys who were brothers who um, office in a storefront on the north side of Chicago. <laughs> and they were looking for someone to come in and help them with some institutional best practices. I didn't even know what my title was. I parked on a side street. There was no parking lot. This was like in the city. And um, I took a job with them as, um, you know, to help them grow their, uh, really for me to learn their investment business, I didn't really know how to do deals. I'd always been on the asset management and property management mm. side, and I wanted to learn more about the deal side Yeah. and working with, um, Charlie and Harry were the two brothers names. Um, I learned how to put deals together, how to raise money, how to underwrite deals, how to invest in deals, how to have equity and skin in the game. Wow. And, um, that was like an amazing opportunity, but you reach a certain level in the corporate world where if you want to change to your point about going from property management to asset management, trying to go from asset management to the deal side is not easy either. And so in order to make that move, I took this risk and went with this boutique firm in Chicago. Um, and it turned out to be one of the best moves I ever made in terms of being able to learn about deals, invest in deals. And then one of the unintended outcomes, because not everything is by design, um, they had a brokerage business on the side, oh. um, a residential brokerage business. And during the time I was there, we concluded we needed to restructure that business. And so I functioned as the CFO for the brokerage business and uh, was exposed to M&A um, for the first time. And so oh, I worked cool. an M&A deal on the operations side. And what was really fantastic coming out of that whole experience was also, was also involved the great financial crisis. So there was a lot of um, crisis management along the way was I found myself in a position where I understood operations. I understood finance and investments. I understood deals and equity. And now I understood how to run a business, Yeah. how to run it. Well. Um, and, and, and I really enjoyed the Opco side actually. Um, and, and, and so to a certain extent, when you run any piece of real estate, every piece of real estate is its own p &L, it's its own business. Right. Uh, but running an actual business with payroll and overhead and uh, things like insurance and lines of credit and right. all that um, is a different world. And so it was amazing to come out of that. And um, 
what I what I found coming out of that experience is there's so many people in real estate um, that still operate in silos. Yeah. You know, the deal our deal people, the operations people, operations people. Nobody really even thinks about running the business. <laughs> like, how does the business actually run? Yeah. And so it really, it really put me in a in a in a unique position. And uh, when I when I left the uh, that partnership, which I was part of for ten years, which involved this residential brokerage firm and this investment platform, and I really divided my time about 50-50, I was able to go to a larger um, private equity type of shop where I had a role that did just that. I was able to be part of running the business, growing the business, M&A for the business, right. deal flow for the business, capital raising, asset management, property management. Well, Bob, we have about five jobs for you right now if we want to get, talk about new opportunities. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to recruit you right out. <laughs> but you know what? There's always something new to learn. And really, I hadn't been that close to the really the down and dirty private equity side until I made that move. And that was to CA Ventures, um, where they were, they were really, yeah. Um, and that, that's really where I had the opportunity to, to really learn more about how to structure private equity deals in real estate. So just when you think, you know, everything, right. I was like, Oh, I understand, um, all these other facets. I'm like, Oh, I really don't know that much about private equity. This is cool. I'm getting to learn a little bit about that. Um, also, I forgot to mention the uh, the brokerage firm and the uh, inv- the investment shop on, in the storefront. We developed condos and for sale housing. We did yeah. development, so I learned. I picked up some development along the way as, as well. And when I went into the private equity firm CA Ventures, uh, we did a, a predominance of development. So it was really fun to be able to leverage that development experience um, more holistically and scale the business. So really. Like what, what happened along the way, the recurring theme, that first job I had where I was running the national, well, the first first job I had uh, with Sam Zell right out of college was a privately held real estate investment platform that was looking to scale. And obviously everyone knows how that turned out. They mm-hmm. scaled quite a bit. And, and then the second job with this firm called CMD was a privately held firm that had started raising funds and they went from a local um, they were in three or four markets. They went national, so I helped them scale. Um, and then with the um, the two brothers on North Avenue, it was the same thing. We restructured their brokerage business. And on the investment side, we did the first institutional partnership they had, um, a strategic partnership with like a programmatic uh, capital partner mm. while I was there, which was a lot of fun. And then at um, CA Ventures, when I joined, we were doing student housing, multifamily, and senior housing, and it was already of significant size. But during the time I was there, we grew to the point where we created verticals for all of those organizations and specialization and a combination of funds, programmatic capital, um, and uh, joint venture partners. So it was great to, to be part of that as well. And at CA, I ended up really gravitating to the multifamily side, which is what I had been focused on prior to coming to CA as well, um, and really growing that multifamily platform and um, vertically integrated again. Everyone's vertically integrated, doing everything, not just uh, one piece of the business. And um, had a great run at CA, made amazing uh, friends, relationships, very thankful for that time. And um, I hit an inflection point again, just kind of this being alert and, and thinking about what's next. 
when in the fall of 2019, I could sense there were some things that I wanted to explore and I wanted to be very sensitive to my relationships at, at CA Ventures um, and everything that I had established there. And so I made a really tough decision, but in the uh, like fourth quarter of 19, I actually stepped away from CA without anything lined up. So again, you talk about taking a risk. Right. I, I stepped down because I concluded the only way that I could be fair to my uh, current employer and also be as prepared as I could for whatever that next opportunity was, was to actually step down. So I took a huge chance. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, of course, um, I can't say I saw the pandemic coming, right? So it turned out to be more risk than I anticipated. Um, as in the first half of 2020, I had all these things in mind. Um, but as we all know, uh, you know, there were some bumps along the way, but the, the industry continued to thrive remarkably through uh, most of the pandemic. And I knew that I wanted to join a privately held, vertically integrated real estate investment management firm that was looking to scale. And um, again, through when I, when I was looking at that next move, I had a whole list of places to look at. And um, Redwood Capital Group was not on that list. <laughs> I did not know anybody here. Um, I did not have any connection to anybody here. And then along the way, somebody who I knew said to me, wait a minute, have you chatted with David and Mark? Do you know those guys over at Redwood? I'm like, no, I don't. He goes, I think you should chat with them. And one thing led to another. And of course, I ended up joining Redwood. And um, it checked every single box that we've been talking about for the last 35 or 40 minutes. Um, it was because... I knew someone, right? Somebody connected me with David and Mark. Um, the same way somebody who I knew knew someone who connected me with CA Ventures. And um, it re remarkably, the investment, the small boutique investment shop on North Avenue in the city of Chicago um, came from a relationship I established at a garage sale <laughs> in my neighborhood. Wow. <laughs> Pushing my kid around on a stroller and just, you know, passing time on a Saturday afternoon. And, and by the way, it's not as though that's what I was out to accomplish, right? I mean, I, I, again, I think if you, nobody wants someone who's always being salesy or schmoozy or working the room or let's have lunch. I mean, right. it, it, and it's hard to really teach that either. It just has to be sincere. It, you have to really actually want to enjoy chatting with people and and be experiential, not salesy. And it's right. funny, the whole time you've been speaking, I've been thinking how if I had to describe you, I would say you are intellectually curious. And I feel like that curiosity is a theme throughout your career and really it, it's interesting. I don't know if you planned it this way or it happened, but I always tell people, think about where you want to end up and then figure out how to get there. And I, I don't know that you were thinking that along the way, but it's clear that all the different pieces that you picked up through that curiosity and the people you met along the way, because you probably didn't just talk to the one or two people you worked with. You were probably in an office talking to different people here or there and, and sharing that thought process kind of led you to a place where now you're qualified to sit at the top of the house. 
Yeah. And you know, I think I have a slight variation on that, Lisa, which somebody shared with me at one point and it resonated, which was instead of always think, instead of thinking about that, you know, where do you want to be in five years or 10 years? Um, always be focused on what do you want to do next? Like never lose sight of the next thing. And I found that to be pretty helpful. So I didn't always think about 10 and 15 years out, but I thought, you know what, if I have these goals and I just keep setting them and I know what I want to do next, then I have a pretty good chance I'm going to get to that next goal. And then I'm going to think about what do I want to do next after that? And so I, I find that sometimes when people think about big problems, it requires big solutions and it becomes overwhelming. And that's when people shut down. Mm. So like people get out of college. Oh, I don't even know what I want to do. I'm never going to have a career. What am I going to do? Right. It's like, well, how do you narrow that? How do you distill that down? Like, well, how do you start by saying, gee, I like buildings. I like architecture. Um, gee, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in sports. Maybe I should try to look for something, you know, that involves sports, whatever it might be. But, how do you just start by distilling it down to something very simple and go from there? Yeah. I love that. It's overwhelming. What are you going to do for the rest of your life? The decision you make right now is going to affect you, you know, whatever. Forever. <laughs> Forever. It's just, it's just, it's pretty, uh, I mean, it sounds like you took a, you might not think it, but you took a lot of risks. I mean, you went after things that it sounds like that maybe, you know, property system, property management isn't, you know, this, it's a hard work. It's, it's, Hey, you might be siloed into, maybe you just didn't know any better. It might be siloed into the property manager the rest of your life. Um, but then taking that risk and going to that uh, storefront shop, I mean, that's a big risk. I mean, there's, we work with a lot of candidates who are in high profile roles. They're like, man, I really would like to get into more of a, yeah, a, a acquisition, fundraising, putting deals together type of role and they you know they get offered opportunities at these smaller shops they never heard of and they don't take it because they're scared um yeah and it's that happens all i spoke to somebody today it was like it's just not he didn't have the skill set he didn't feel like he could be qualified for it, but i i knew like they would like him type of thing you know like they're gonna like you don't no one has the skill set like no one has all these skills so you're gonna be okay and he just didn't want to do it so it's a lot of people maybe it's just kind of where people are in their lives like they have can't risk the paycheck or something like that, but um, s sitting around, it sounds like you're, you're not going to look back at the end of your life and be like, man, I wish there's all these opportunities I didn't take. You kind of just went, kept going, you know, it's like, do you, is there like a faith? Where'd that come from? Did you have, did you grow up in a, a household where people took risks or like, what's any of that stuff? No, now we're in deep psychoanalysis. No, what's, what's funny about that is, um, my dad was a Chicago police officer, so I guess he had, you might say, a risky job, yeah. right? But the reality was, I mean, and this was clearly years ago, um, you know, it's it's thought of as a pretty secure job, right? You're working for the city and, you, yeah, you, you know, you, you, you get a pension and all that. And so I, I, I don't know where it came from, but I will tell you that when I started opening up the business section of the newspaper and expressing curiosity about that early on, uh, in my grade school years, um, it was it was noticed, and and the family like, what are you doing? Who reads that section? You know? <laughs> um, but I, I I think everybody needs to be true to themselves, right? And everybody defines happiness differently. So I don't think I'm here to tell people to take risk. If you don't want to take risk, then you could be very happy not taking risk. It, um, 
but I am happy to share my story. And I do think that if, if you're in the world of business and investments and you want to progress exponentially in that career, that, in, that that's, you're in the risk business. So right. you better be prepared to take risk. And I guess you could, everybody who's listening could ask themselves, have I ever moved to a city where I didn't know anyone for a job? That would be a question. Have I ever taken a job where I took a pay cut? Have I ever taken a job where I didn't know what my title was going to be? Um, have I ever left a job without another job? Um, so these are all things I've done. Um, have I ever lost money on an investment? You know, these are all, those are all things that I have, you know, been through and, and done. And um, I feel um, good about those risks um, because it's made it more exciting. And they're not reckless, though. I just want to be clear. It's not reckless kind of risk taking. Every one of those decisions was very thought out, um, very much planned, very much researched. Risk does not mean reckless. Yeah, but they are huge decisions, right? I mean, at the end of the day, yes. it's like you're, you're not going to be on the street, but like living it's on the street. It's eyes wide open. And I do agree, Chris, um, just like when we buy real estate um, and I take some of our investors around, it's always good to talk about, hey, here's our plan A, here's our plan B, here's our plan C, because things aren't always, are rarely going to go according to plan. Um, and I feel that way about, uh, career decisions we make as well. Um, this is my plan A. If it doesn't work, what's plan C B and what's plan C? Um, yeah. And um, early on in my career, I went through, I, there were a couple of positions I was fortunate to obtain where I was um, the second choice. The first guy turned down the job or the first woman turned down the job, you know, and I was just hanging around the hoop and was fortunate to be, <laughs> be there. Meant to be. Persistence. Um, um, well, you sound like you said the weather's pretty good in Chicago, but it's about to get pretty cool, I'm sure. So you're probably looking forward to the hot seat. Oh. Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities reduce turnover and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com, k-k-r-e-s-e-t.com. I, I, I wasn't briefed on the hot seat, but I'm ready. I don't get. know, maybe we go back hot. to the psychosis of my, of my youth instead. That sounds more comfortable. <laughs> you, uh, if we prepare you for the hot seat, it's not so hot. Okay. It's easy though. Easy questions. No wrong answer. Do you have a book or podcast recommendation? Um... Yes. Um, I just read uh, River of Doubt 
which is uh, a book about Teddy Roosevelt's exploration of the Amazon River oh, wow. um, in the 19-teens after he lost um, his bid for president. He, he had been president, and then he lost, and he tried to make a comeback. Sounds vaguely familiar. Um, he, he didn't... <laughs> he, he did not win, and this was right around, I think, 1912 or 14, and he and his son and a group of people went down into the Amazon, and it's an amazing uh, story, and how they lived is really, um, it's almost unfathomable that they survived. So that's... River of that's, Doubt. That's River of Doubt, yeah, about Teddy Roosevelt's exploration of the Amazon River. Um, podcast, um, there's a podcast I listen to which is done by a professor. I can't remember if she's out of Yale or Princeton on uh, happiness. The it's happiness. called the happiness. Lab. I listen oh, to that too. Yeah. I love that. Yep. She's out of Yale. Know, and I, yeah. Yale is Yale. Um, and I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts because I, I find so many of them are, um, um, they're not objective enough. They're more subjective. And um, I like the happiness lab because it's very objective. And um, right. some some good some, some good reminders about how to um, practice practice cognitive discipline. Right, because the whole theme is like the things that we think are going to make us happy aren't aren't the ones that are going to make us happy. So we should start chasing after the stuff that makes us happy. Actually, does make right. us happy. And, and be very cognizant of that that doesn't make you happy. Right. 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 So uh, tell us a little bit about your most memorable deal. Um, well, it's probably the one I just, it, it might be the yeah, one that's we a just did, one. actually, just because it's such a, a game changer. Um, but, you know, I, I think I, I obviously there's there's confidentiality issues as well, and I want to be careful about how, how much I share. I will tell you when when I was in the, um, the position where we were restructuring the residential brokerage business, it was interesting that we went through an M&A right at the beginning of the financial crisis around 2008, um, really a very challenging time to be doing any kind of M&A on the residential brokerage side because the whole uh, world imploded with, um, you know, uh, CMBS loans and bad mortgages and defaults. Um, and so what we found is we needed to go through a second restructuring and we had brought in um, a national franchise to back us up. Uh, from a branding and marketing platform basis. It's kind of the equivalent of, you know, I guess if you're a Marriott, right? The people who own the Marriott and run the hotel are not Marriott. It's a franchise and they have the, the franchise brand and the Marriott provides you with some working capital and standards and things like that. And that's how it works in the, in the residential brokerage business too. You see a lot of these different flags like, um, I don't know, Remax or Sotheby's or Christie's or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, um, we found an ideal partner, and uh, what was interesting about that is it was the heat of the financial crisis. It was a, a um, they they had um, the the partner that we were bringing in uh, was in a position where one of their former partners had dropped out. They needed market share. We needed working capital, and um, it was literally like uh, down to the uh, minute, Lisa, where we were negotiating the agreement, and the agreement wasn't signed we people were pounding fists on table and on conference calls and things and the closing dinner had already started <laughs> like people were at the Don't closing the dinner <laughs> and um we still didn't have you know and then there was like five of us in a conference room screaming at each other 
And um, so what I remember is, of course, we got it signed and we we showed up late to the closing dinner, but that was just kind of a fun memory of, of <laughs> being front lines and battling it out. That's awesome. Uh, what do you look for when you're hiring someone? What type of qualities? Mm-hmm. Well, Lisa mentioned one of them. I think somebody who's just curious, uh, kind of someone who's 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 a, a good listener, um, someone who's able to solve problems. I think um, oftentimes when I'm interviewing people for a role, um, people are very good about rattling off characteristics or qualities they have, and I I try to use that as an opportunity to drill down a bit and say, give me an example of when you used that quality or used that characteristic and what was the outcome so i really um when i'm interviewing people i appreciate people that can bring tangible real world examples of characteristics and qualities that they're saying they possess so i don't know maybe no, maybe that's the, great the, that's great maybe the business term for that would be transparency i'm not sure <laughs> that works i like it any other interesting questions that you tend to ask on an interview yeah I, I, this 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 particular question came from a, uh, someone i interviewed and they brought up that they always ask someone they're interviewing who's interviewing with them for a job to, to tell them a joke and it doesn't have to be it's not about if it's a funny joke or a good joke or a bad joke it's just like how do they think are they willing to take a risk how do they if they can't think of one on the spot like can they walk themselves through it even if they look stupid like are they willing to look stupid you know type of thing um, that's funny um i'll tell you most of the time I have a pretty standard way of starting every interview, which is I sit down with someone and I say, so how did you hear about this role? How did you hear about us? And I actually know in almost 100% of the cases how that happened, but I like just starting it off with kind of a softball, more conversational question where they're able to say, oh, this recruiter reached out to me or my friend Lisa told me or I know someone in another department. I don't know, it just is a way to get the conversation flowing. Mm. Um, Beyond that, I try to really structure the interview in a way that's appropriate for that individual and for that role. So I actually don't have a lot of rote that's okay. questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I just, I always, I'm just curious because we do a lot of interviewing, and a lot of our, you know, we, our clients interview all the big part of our job, and I, I've never thought of like having this like kind of. Some people do like brain teasers or uh, I mean that type of stuff. I hate that stuff, but like the joke one really caught my attention. I'm like, oh, I wonder if anyone the joke one's a good one. Um, you know, I mean, the, this is kind. I guess this isn't that unique, but it's always like, well, tell me how you did that, right? Yeah, um, is always a great question. And then of course, it is fun. I mean, I, when people, you know, they'll put something like uh, they're interested in archaeology or something like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, it's always fun to hear about those those types of interests and accomplishments. And um, I, it, it seems as though the world of real estate thrives on left brain, right brain people, because there's always that sense of creativity, but then you need to pivot to the numbers at the same time. So I always try to find somebody who at least understands the concept of left brain, right brain, and yeah. is aware of that. Yeah. Well, the name of this podcast is the impact real estate podcast. How do you feel you're, real estate has impact in the world? Well, right now is probably one of the greatest impacts I've made is because we're actually running a portfolio of 100% residential multifamily assets, right? So people live there, they, they, they live their lives there, they have their birthday parties there, they take care of their grandma there. 
um, they're looking for a safe and secure and affordable place to live. And, and, and I think uh, what, what I'm doing right now is probably some of the most meaningful real estate work um, that we've done. And we're able to provide safe, secure, and relatively affordable places for folks. So that's, that's probably one piece of it. But then I think to the extent we all work with people and we're all leaders, I always just ask myself, you know, how can I be a good leader? And one of the things I, I challenge myself on on a regular basis is how do we have high um, empathy and high accountability? And so every day I get up and I say, how do, how do we hold people accountable? But how do we do that and still have an emotionally intelligent way to approach work with a high level of empathy? And it is possible to have, to have both. And, and so I, I, I'd like to think as a leader that if I can bring those qualities to work, that hopefully I'm creating an environment where people don't mind coming in or not, even if they're not in, hopefully we're, we're growing a, a good team and we're creating a culture of respect and, um, and, and, and one that's enjoyable. You sound like a great guy to work for. I know. I hope all of your employees mm-hmm. are taking advantage of uh, <laughs> knocking on your door. I see you're in the office. so. <laughs> Um, I mean, you, you learn things along the way, right? Remember that guy who sat me down many years ago and said, you know, you're not hitting it on all the marks. So clearly there was a time when I didn't get it. Yeah. And, um, and there's, there's things I look back on that I clearly, um, recognize were learning opportunities, but, um, I don't know. I think somebody, maybe it was you, Lisa, someone said something about regrets. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any regrets, uh, when it comes to, 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 you know, most things. I just keep plugging along and thinking about what's next and uh, try to be curious. It's working so far. It's worked out. Yeah. Um, It also helps when you really like the business, right? I mean, I I really, I love the real estate business. I love buildings. I like development. I like finance. I like people. So it all comes together. Well, it definitely comes through. So thank you for joining us today, Bob. Um, you're welcome. Very informative. I appreciate Chris, and uh, good to, good to spend time with you. And Lisa, nice to spend time with you as well. And um, I uh, hope our paths will cross again soon. Yeah, great getting to know you better. Absolutely. Thank you.